Chapter Twelve of the Princess and the Plowman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Princess and the Plowman, by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter Twelve. The patient earth had brought forth fruit of herself after the immemorial fashion. First the blade then the ear and after that the full corn in the ear in due course also the reaper had thrust in his sickle at harvest time and now the ripened and empty shocks stood in the field powdered with hoar-frost in the pale light of the tardy dawns the sea and the sky changing ever knew little change as the seasons waxed and waned but the naked trees and the naked earth waited shivering for the snow Within doors it was the jovial time of barns, filled to bursting with harvest, of cellars, redolent with ripened fruit, of laden boards, of roaring fires, of early homecomings, and long nights of sleep, while the stars and the frost sparkled keenly without, and the sea roared hungrily on the black rocks. A merry time, a time of thanksgiving and plentiful good cheer if one be warm with love and satisfied with its abiding presence on the hearthstone yet a grievous time and bitter as the black frost to an uprooted tree if one be alone and lonely hugh ghent had already learned what it was to be alone he had grieved sorely when his mother died yet he had found wholesome solace in the sea and the sky in his books and his thoughts and the hard breaths over ploughshare and spade had somehow lightened his load of sorrow but now that the sea and the sky and the earth had become mysteriously alive with a vanished presence now that books appeared more dead than the hands that wrote them and the sweat of the brow yielded only bitterness he had learned perforce the more difficult lesson of loneliness more than three months had passed since his wedding day and there had been no word nor sign from mary he knew now that he had expected this and more the very depth and bitterness of his aching disappointment measured for him the height and sweetness of his hope he had told her that he would ask nothing yet with his whole soul he had demanded all from her judge chantry had acknowledged his letter of renunciation curtly and formally adding a single paragraph to the effect that mary would be kept from carrying out her projects for some months during which time she might be addressed at his house one day in early september he met felis vivian walking alone in the fields i was hoping to meet you mr ghent she said frankly we are leaving to-morrow he waited for her to go on his stubborn tongue refusing any word of conventional regret. I had a letter from Mary today. Does she. has she written to you? No, he said harshly. Miss Vivian flashed a resentful look at his somber face. I think Mary is very unhappy, she said defiantly. Why should she be unhappy? he asked, still in the cold harsh tone of one who has put an iron clutch upon his emotions the girl shook her head mary isn't like other girls she said 
she isn't like me not one bit i couldn't have done what she did i should have he was staring at her steadily a furrow of suffering deepening between his blue eyes god knows i meant to help her he said at last but i did wrong i see that now why didn't you make her love you demanded felis with a sudden keen sparkle of anger you could have done it why did you let her go away how could i keep her with me he asked dully you know that i could not it was all a mistake a stupid blunder of mine he added bitterly i thought i hoped what did i not think and hope like a fatuous idiot mary isn't like any girl i ever knew repeated miss vivian insistently she's more like a child or a nice honest boy but i'm sure she isn't happy her letters are queer his haggard eyes fastened hungrily upon her would you like to see one of them she went on hurriedly i have in fact i have two or three of them here i thought perhaps he took them quietly thank you he said i shall keep them the letters proved to be very simple almost bald accounts of the daily circumstances of her dull life in judge chantry's house when he at length brought himself to the point of reading them twice she mentioned jerome chantry he persists in coming to see me felis she wrote i wish he would stay away and in another place jerome chantry sent me violets today i told peters to throw them away they were so sweet they seemed to smother me did you ever notice that flowers seem to do that sometimes oh my dear i never guessed what it was like to be lonely before though i was nearly always alone before i knew you no i do not think i can come to you as you ask i am trying to study as many hours as possible each day it keeps me from thinking too much about other things things that i cannot help i often think of what our life in hawaii will be like it will be a busy life felis and i am glad of that i mean to fill every minute with work it was past midnight when he finally roused himself from the bitter reverie into which he had fallen her short pathetic sentences ringing in his ears like muffled cries of pain oh god he groaned what can i do to help her the low sobbing of the wind in the chimney and the stealthy patter of sleet against his uncurtained window seemed to answer him you can do nothing nothing he threw himself upon his couch before the dying fire and through the long hours between midnight and dawn fought again the difficult battle of renunciation with hard-wrung tears which the darkness mercifully hid toward morning he fell asleep and so permelia magalini found him when she made her quiet housewifely rounds of the lower floor in the gray light of dawn his sleeping face shone white and worn against the dark pillows of the couch and his almost boyish look of hard-won peace appeared sadder than tears to the faithful eyes of the woman she stole softly away to the kitchen sighing and shaking her head in mute passion of tender pity and indignation i'm sore afraid for master hugh father 
she said to the old man, who was warming his stiffened fingers over the kitchen stove. Afraid for Maester Hugh, eh? Why, daughter, what's happened to Maester Hugh out of the ordinary? He never went to his bed all the night, father, and he's lying asleep now on his sofa. I hadn't the heart to wake him. Tis the matter of the young woman, said Andrew McElhenney wisely. He should have asked me, should Master Hugh, who knows the ways of woman folks from a long life of experience. The woman should I come before the wedding, and if there be no woman, there should be no wedding. Maester Hugh thought to turn the customs of the world aside, for well, that's no easy matter for any man. She had no right to marry him unless she was willing to be his true and honest wife, broke in the woman harshly. When I mind how I showed her the madam's chamber, and how proud I was on the wedding day of my cooking and all, sudden as it was and unlooked for, a finer wedding breakfast was never set down to in a cleaner house, and I mixin' the bride cake at midnight twas ill omened i'm thinking daughter tis not becoming in a christian woman to speak of omens and the like wait on the lord and be of good cheer the lord is mindful o maester hugh as he is ever mindful of his ain though there be times i'm thinking when he clean forgets that our thoughts are not as his thoughts and that we us a thousand years is not as one day there's not an hour of the day that i'm not praying for him father the woman said in a low voice of passion but it would ease my mind wonderful if i could even give her a piece of it she's a wicked woman a wicked light-minded woman father i wish she had never set eyes upon him that i do pray for the misguided lassie too she needs it urged her father gently remember that where two of us are beseeching the lord for the one thing it shall be done for us of our father in heaven and what petition do you put up for mistress ghent father asked permelia dryly i haven't found it in my heart to lay her case before the lord as yet then do it immediate daughter i'm just beseeching the lord day by day to bring young mistress ghent to a realizing sense o' her mercies that's all any o' us needs at any time for we're fair compassed about we the everlasting mercies of jehovah all the years o' our pilgrimage but there's a special blessing in store for that young woman i'm thinking if so be she'll put out her hand and take it if she'll not put out her hand and take it she's not deserving of it i say murmured permelia with an obstinate tightening of her kind mouth i'd just like her to see master hugh as i saw him but now it's your doing mistress i'd say to her and may the lord deal with you as you deal with him yes father i would so I would speak plain with her if I had the chance. There's times when plain speaking's a good thing, and I'll not deny it. 
said andrew thoughtfully when love and wisdom guide the tongue it is surely a good thing a good thing he went out closing the door softly behind him and Pamelia betook herself to making a cheerful noise with dishes and silver and the clattering of fire irons in the dining-room singing the while in her rich soft contralto the words of the morning hymn come my soul thou must be waking now is breaking o'er the earth another day come to him who made this splendor see thou render all thy feeble thoughts can pay and hugh ghent opening his tired eyes upon the glory of the sun rising over leagues of grey tossing sea found it in his sore heart to pray for strength to endure that which was to come to him before the rising and the going down thereof than this can no man armour his soul more completely End of chapter 12 Recording by John Brandon